And so uh, today um, we're going to be starting Nehemiah Lesson 1. Last week was an introduction. So does everybody get a handout? Did you ladies get a handout from the back? Okay, that's good. Uh, so it should say uh, Nehemiah, the Jerusalem Project. That's what I'm kind of titling our little uh, Bible study in Jerusalem. And we're going to be talking about Lesson 1. And so last week we talked about, I gave you a little information, and I'm going to give you some more today. So review, you know, a lot of times I'll give a review because, I don't know, I need to remind myself what we've already read and went through, but I also always probably throw things out that I forgot the week before I ran out of time or somehow just didn't read my notes. So the book of Nehemiah takes place from around 445 B.C. to 432 B.C., it takes place 91 years after Zerubbabel went back under the decree of Cyrus. We talked about that last week, which was in 536. And 11 years after the return of Ezra in 456. So, you know, it was already uh, prophesied that the Jews would be taken captive by a foreign country, Babylon and Assyria. And they were there for, anybody know how many years? Seventy. Close. Seventy years. It was already foretold in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah that they would be there for seventy years and then God would bring them back. Now can you imagine this? We all live in the United States. Can you imagine us losing our government and carried away to a foreign country and yet seventy years later be able to come back? That doesn't happen to two nations. But yet it's happened to Israel a couple of times. Actually, three times. Number one, when they got out of Egypt. We're going through the series with Brian coming out of Egypt. Well, they went in as a small group, but they come out as a nation. But that was unheard of. Can you imagine being slaves to, to Pharaoh? And he didn't want them to go, did he? Number one, he could have allowed them to go. He had other slaves. But number one, he's the king and you're his slave. He's not going to let you go. Well, he does, but it's only going through all those uh, plagues and things that he went through. It's almost through total destruction that he let them go. Well, this is the second time that the, the Jews are in a foreign land and they get to come back to the land of Israel. And yet today, uh, they're right now kind of flocking back into Israel again. So uh, we've seen that several times, and, and I don't think there's been another nation under... Un, in our planet has ever done it once, let alone three times. And so God's hand is upon this, and we're going to see that today. So uh, the first group goes back under Zerubbabel, and there was about 50,000 that went back. And then there was a group that went back with uh, Ezra. There was about 20, what 2,000, I'm sorry, 2,000 we read last week, went back with that group. And today we're going to be talking about, all through the book of Nehemiah, a group going back under Nehemiah, which is a really small group, and they go back for a specific purpose. So that's kind of the background. The breakdown of the book, I didn't give you this last week, in Nehemiah chapters 1 through 6 is the reconstruction of the wall. So reconstruction goes in your blank. The main purpose of Nehemiah going back is to build the wall that was torn down, that was had been around the city of Jerusalem. Now when Zerubbabel went back, their goal was to rebuild the temple. But the walls had never been rebuilt. So when that, when uh, Nehemiah goes back, he reconstructs the walls. And we'll see that in chapters 1 through 6. 
in Nehemiah 7 through 13, we're going to see the reconstruction of the people. Now you might say, well, Bob, what do you mean by that? Well, it's just amazing how, how people can have a goal and can have an agenda and they can maybe work on that agenda, but after some time, it seems to just kind of float away. And, and I'll give you an example. I don't know how many of you have ever decided at the first of the year that you're going to go on a diet and lose weight. And then about a month into it, <laughs> you're like, you know what, that's too much work. I don't want to do that. I'm not seeing results, so you're just right back to the same old person. Well, that happens with everything. I mean, it happens with uh, everything we have, our lives, our health, our our homes, our, our cars. Everything we have breaks down. You have to keep working on it. Churches do the same thing. Uh, and so when the people went back, they got the temple somewhat built, and the next thing you know, they're just kind of out in the woods out in the weeds doing their own thing again. And Ezra comes along, kind of gets them straightened up a little bit, and yet they also needed Nehemiah to come along right after that to kind of keep them going the right direction. You know, I was, right now we're working on Carrie's mom and dad's house. They had not done anything to the outside of their house except paint it in 35 years. Well, the siding was beginning to rot off, wasn't it? And so we, the siding company just finished on Friday, so we've been dealing with that, this and that. We're looking at their house, and, and they've lived there 35 years, and I'm like, they have not painted one wall on the inside of their house in 35 years. They have not taken one bush out of their yard and replaced in 35 years. They have not done, I think they may have changed an, a, a kitchen faucet and a bathroom faucet. And other than that, that's the same house 35 years ago. But you got to keep your house up and going or it's going to fall apart. And the same thing happens to people groups, churches, no matter what, because we're all human and we have a tendency to kind of get off track. And so when Nia goes back, not only does he start to reconstruct the walls, he's starting to get the people back on track too. So I wanted to throw that out. So chapter 1 reveals that Nehemiah is informed of the situation in Jerusalem and how he responds. And I kind of went through that quick last week. So I want to kind of go back and look at that. And so, uh, in fact, let me just read it. Because, again, I'm not in a big hurry to get through this book, even though we'll probably get to it, through it in fairly record time. But I do want to break it down. And I, I want us to learn from this book, okay? So the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, just to re- recall what we've already read, says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, And it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the twentieth year as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Han and I, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is, is broken down. And the gates thereof are burned with fire. Now we seem to look at that as, okay, so the walls are broken down and the, and the gates are burnt and not put up. But we seem to overlook the fact that it says there is great affliction and reproach there. So they're under some distress. And one of the, one of the things that's causing this stress is, is the walls and the gates not put up. But there's more to it than that. But that's just the tip of the iceberg, okay? We need to keep that in mind. And it came to pass when I heard these words, verse 4, that I sat down and wept 
and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night. So is he is this a one time prayer for him? No. He's praying this prayer and he is earnest about this. He cuz he's concerned about it. This prayer for the children of Israel and for thy servants and and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee both I and my father's house have sinned. Okay, so he goes through the prayer and oh, let me just keep reading it. Since we have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy great hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, I beg thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. So that's, that's the initial prayer that gets everything rolling in the book of Nehemiah. So I just want to talk a little bit about this prayer. In this prayer, it shows some of the aspects or characteristics that Nehemiah had. Okay, Number one, he knew the Jews' history. He knew why they were in captivity. He knew why he was living in Persia and in the, in the, in, the city of Shushan. He knew how they got there. Okay, so how about some of you? We, you guys live in Cass County, you know, area. Most of us do. I, I, I don't yet, but I hope to say. <laughs> but, um, and we live in this area, okay? Uh, but how did we get here? How did your descendants get here? Some of us know, some of us may not know, you know? I, I know my family came to central Missouri from Kentucky back, back around 1900, and, and I can go back to there, and, but, you know, I really don't know a whole lot else other than that. But Nehemiah seems to know his heritage. He knows he's Jewish. He knows why he's in Babylon and, and, and in Persia. And he knows why they're there. And he knows God's wanting them back. So he knows the history. Okay? And so it's good to know your history. Some people are real big on their genealogy and all that. I was just going to say, the genealogy lists... You know, they're in the Bible. I usually just pass over them, don't really read them carefully. Okay. He knew them, though. He was really up on them. So they were important to him. And I think when I do that, I think, okay, God, forgive me, because I know you. all of these people that are mentioned, the names that are mentioned in your word, are important. And just don't let me, you know, think, ah, this is another name. Right. And so he, Nehemiah knew all that, and he used all that to, for his... But it all fits in. Why, why is he so interested in this? Why is this tearing him apart? Why has he been praying for days? 
And so uh, last week I mentioned the, the man Manasseh. And so Manasseh is found in Second Chronicles, just a couple books back to the left in your Bible. I want to go back and read that story. Because you guys are from Missouri, and you, you, I should not just think you guys believe what I say. What story are you going to read? The story of Manasseh, King Manasseh in the Bible. Okay, Second Chronicles chapter 33. Now he has a fantastic story. I remember once, Betty, I was preaching in the in the jail with your with David. And I said, let me tell you about one of the best kings in the Bible, King Manasseh, and which he did a lot of bad things, but he, he did do what's right at the end. And I thought David was going to have a heart attack because he's like, Manasseh, he's the worst guy. How can you say he's the best guy? Well, it's hang along and it's like Paul Harvey says, let's look at the rest of the story. But yeah, he liked to fell out of his chair when I said that. I still remember that. Uh, here's King Manasseh, verse, uh, chapter 33 of 2 Chronicles. Now this is just... This has just happened a hundred years before Nehemiah. This is not long before. Manasseh happens not long before they're carried away into captivity. But we're going to look at this. And he knows this. He knows the history. He goes, Manasseh, a king, he was 12 years old and he began to reign. And he reigned for 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. Man, he had a long reign. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now we're going to look about how bad this dude was. How bad do you think you are? There's times I think I'm I'm pretty bad. But then I look it up, no, I'm not that bad. You know? I'm not bad like him. And I remember once there was a man here in church and, and he no longer goes here. And Some of you probably know who I'm talking about. He's standing up. Before I got saved, I was this, 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 and I did this. And I'm thinking, man, this dude is was bad. I don't want to even know if I want to hang around this guy. And Brian goes, now, we don't want this to be how, how bad we are situation here. The fact is, God saved you and you're not that person anymore. So we don't want to dwell on that. But that's what we're going to look at with Manasseh. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah, verse 3, had broken down. And he reared up altars for Balaam and made groves and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. Also he built altars in the house of the Lord whereof the Lord had said in Jerusalem shall my name be forever. He starts putting up idols in the temple. Okay? And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused the children... Oh, wait a minute. Let me back that up. I misquoted it. He he caused what? What's it say? His children. We're not talking about just the Jewish children. He's, he, this even is his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the, of the son of Hinnom. Now, does any of you, do you, any of you know what that means? He passed, he caused his children to pass through the fire. He was sacrificing his own children, burning them alive to these idols. That's pretty wicked. Okay? And he also observed times. Now, that's why David was having a heart attack when I said this was a good king. Hang with me. And he used enchantments, and he used witchcraft, and he dealt with a familiar spirit, and with wizards. Kind of sounds like a lot of people today, doesn't it? Look at Hollywood. They're doing the same thing. And he wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a carved image, the idol, which he had made. Now, I don't know if he personally made this or he had it made. 
I'm not sure. And some of you Bible students can maybe look at that and tell me. But it actually says that he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. That's the second time we see that. So God made mention of it twice. So it got God's attention. Verse 8, Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have appointed to your fathers so that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before them. So he was doing worse than all the people did when Joshua went into the land and they got rid of all those tribes and all those people because they were serving false idols. They were they were sacrificing their kids. They were doing every unimaginable thing. And God pronounced judgment on them when Joshua came in and wiped them out. Here we have the king of Israel doing worse than what they did. Okay? And the Lord spake to Moses, I mean Manasseh, verse 10, and to his people, but they would not, what? They would not hearken. They wouldn't listen. The Lord's trying to get them to wake up. Guys, you're doing wrong. You need to pull back to me. You're not doing what's right. Verse 11, Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to where? Babylon. Here's the king. He's taken to Babylon, okay? And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication. Let me stop for just a minute. So he did a Hail Mary prayer. Okay, God, I'm sorry. If you'll just fix this mess, I'll go back and I'll worship you. Not Like I said, I've said that prayer before. I'll even come to church. I'll come to Sunday school. I'll do whatever you want. Just get me out of this mess. What do you think his prayer was? He's in a dungeon in a foreign country and he used to be the king in Israel. I mean, you go, I mean, talk about going downhill. But look at his prayer. And he prayed unto him, verse 13, and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem and into his kingdom. Then the, then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. So he takes him and gets him back to Israel and puts him back on the throne again. Now, you want to talk about a Cinderella story? You can't beat that one, except for our, except for my salvation. I, I mean, God did the same thing for me. Okay? Because I was lost. He brought me back. I mean, that was a miracle. This was a miracle. Now, after this, verse 14, he built a wall without the city of David. Imagine that. He comes back. He gets right with the Lord. And what's he do? He starts building walls. And again, I mentioned a week or two ago, I think it was last week, our, our government needs to take heed to this. <laughs> they need to take heed to this. Now, after this, he built a wall without the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley, even to the entering in of the fish gate, and compassed about Ophel, and raised it up a very great height, and put captains of war in all the fenced cities of Judah. And he took away the strange gods and the idol out of the house of the Lord, and all the altars that he had built in the mount, in the mount of the house of the Lord, and in Jerusalem, and cast them out of the city. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, and sacrificed thereon peace offerings, and things 
and thank offerings and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. So he did a reba- uh, an about face. I mean, he was satanic worshiper, and now he's serving God. Okay. So my point is, Nehemiah knew this. Okay. He knows this. He knows the history here. Um, for lack of time, because I'm not even going to get through my front page. If you're taking notes, you can write Second uh, Chronicles 36, 14 through 23. Now, again, this is. This is even after Manasseh when it talks about uh, uh, another king. And so, my whole point is, Nehemiah knows the history. He knows why he's in in Persia and Babylon. He knows what God has said. He knows there was a group of people that went back under Zerubbabel. Okay. B, he knows, or he knew, the Jewish law. When you go back and look at his prayer and who he is, he knows the Jews' history, he knows the Jewish law. Twice he mentions Moses back in chapter 1 of Nehemiah about giving the law. So he knows that. C, he knew the Old Testament. Now you can fit that in right with the Jewish law. And D, it says he knew God's, and you have a blank I think, promises. Now that that's where I stand up and take notice because I... I am standing on God's promises today because without God's promises, we don't have anything. If without God's promises, we just well, you know, uh, live our life merrily because you know we we live today and we die tomorrow. There's no reason to be here. Yeah, there's not. There's no reason to be a nice guy either. You know, we should just be out robbing banks, killing people, and doing you know. And yet we know that's not right because God has instilled that on us. But in reality, that's what the satanic group does because. They, you know, they don't serve God. They don't think, they, they don't have God's promises. So he knows God's promises. And so, um, we're gonna go back and look at those promises. So let's go back and look at Deuteronomy. Back to Moses, the book of Deuteronomy, Old Testament. Back before Joshua, Deuteronomy chapter 28. In fact, we could read the whole chapter, but I'll read a little bit of it. We'll see how far we go. Um, yes. And so, wow, I don't have a lot of time, but you know what? We'll just go through what I got. Okay. So I want I want to throw these out here because what God promises people in the Old Testament, He comes through on. What God promises us, He comes through on. So I am very interested in the promises He gives Israel. Because that's a, a teaching point. Because what he did for them, he'll do for us. Okay? And we need to realize that. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 28 starts off with the blessings and the cursings. And it shall come to pass, verse 1, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I have commanded this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shall thou be in the city, and blessed shall thou be in the field. Blessed shall thou be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall thy basket and thy store. Blessed shall thou be when thou comest in and goest, and blessed shall thou be when thou goest out. 
and the Lord shall cause enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face, and they shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. And the Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto, and he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So I'm not going to go continue on, but you get the drift, right? If you obey God, he will bless you. And we already saw that. You know, uh, a year ago when we started going, th- when we were back in Genesis with Abraham. Abraham said, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. And that is still happening today. That's why it's so, uh, that's why it should be so apparent for our country to, to help Israel when we get a chance, or when they get a chance, because God says He's going to bless those nations that do. Or even a Jewish person. If you have a Jewish person in your life, be kind to them. Help them. Work with them. Share them the Bible if you get an opportunity. But you know what? We are. God says He will bless those people that bless Abraham and his children, but He'll curse those that curse them. So we need to take note of that also on a personal level. So... All these promises, okay? But also at the end of this chapter, let me see if I can get over there. Um, we're going to talk about the, the ball game kind of gets changed here. Um, okay, verse 15. Let's drop down to verse 15. And it says, But, there again is one of those big buts in the Bible, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all His commandments and His statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. And so the whole reverse happens. Okay? And so that's what we see in the book of Deuteronomy. Okay? Um, Turn over to chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. And let's look at 1 through 5. Deuteronomy 30. Make sure I have the right notes. Yes, 1 through 5 says, And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, the blessings and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among the nations, whether the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey His voice, according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, that then, then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity, and have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. So, here's another uh, promise from... Uh, God through Moses that says even if you do what's wrong and God carries you away to a foreign country, if you just turn around and start serving God, God will pull you out of that and bring you back into the land that He gives you. In my Bible, I have wrote down, this is a story of Manasseh because that's exactly what happened to him. And again, I point that out because Nehemiah knows this. Okay? This is what makes him drive. This is what makes him go. He knows God's promises. Okay? So, let's go back towards uh, 
uh, we're back to Second Chronicles again. And I'm going to try to land this plane here in just a minute. Second Chronicles chapter six. Again, what does what does Nehemiah know? He knows God's promises. Second Chronicles chapter six, and we're going to look at verse twenty four and twenty five. And it says, and if thy people is Israel, now Solomon is speaking here. He said, and if thy people Israel be put to the worst before the enemy because they have sinned against thee and shalt return and confess thy name and pray and make supplication before thee in this house, then hear from the heavens and forgive the sin of thy people Israel and bring them again into the land which thou gavest to them and to their fathers. So this is a prayer that Solomon is saying when the temple is dedicated and he says, hey, Lord, when the people do this and they get their head screwed on straight and they come back and start praying and observing you, then please bring them back to this place. Okay, bring them back to the land. Okay, so turn over to chapter or chapter seven of Second Chronicles and verse fourteen. I'm trying to tie this all together, so hopefully I can. Chapter seven. Verse 14 of Second Chronicles says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Again, same theme going on. And this is basically God's response to Solomon's prayer I read just a minute ago. This is what God says. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now I hear a lot of people use that verse and say, if our country in the United States will, will just pray to God, confess their sins, get back to God, then He'll heal our country and our country will be right back on top. That's not what it says. Number one... This isn't a Jewish nation, and we're not living in Jerusalem. The, the theory is, is good. If, if our country would do that, if the people of our country would do that, but this particular promise is to who? Israel. It's to the Jewish people. It's to the Israelites. So a lot of times there's people here that want to take this promise and make it theirs. Now we can learn from it, and it would certainly help our country and our people to do that, but even if our country did that, this verse here is a promise to the Jews, not to the Gentiles, not to us. But again, the promise is, guys, if you just straighten up and do what's right, then God will do this. Okay? So he knows the promises. So this is the background of who Nehemiah is. Ver, uh, down to letter E, it says, Nehemiah, he knew who he prayed to. He had a blank with God. He had a relationship with God. Okay? So, um, why was Nehemiah so upset about the situation that was going on in Jerusalem? Because he, he had never been to Jerusalem. He had, he had lived his whole life in Babylon and Persia. And the reason why I say Babylon and Persia, they were carried away to Babylon and yet Persia came in and took over Babylon. 
And so, uh, why was he so upset? I'm, I'm asking myself this when I'm reading through the Bible. I don't know about you guys. When you read through the Bible, sometimes I have more questions than I've got things to answer. I'm like, I think the more I read the Bible, the dumber I get. No, I think there's just so much more there that I realize I don't know. I think that's it. Maybe I am dumb. I don't know. Don't answer that. Uh, I'm not the sharpest stick probably in the, out in the woodshed, but oh well. So why was Nehemiah... So I asked my question. My question is to myself. Why was Nehemiah so upset about this? So I put some things down here. Was he upset because he had family in Jerusalem? Now that certainly would make him very concerned. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We know his brother came back from Jerusalem. Was he going back again? I, that I don't know. Perhaps he thought that he should have gone back with the group under Ezra. Because the group with Ezra that went back was only 11 years before this. And maybe he's kicking himself like, man, I should have been back there. I should have went back with Ezra. I don't know. We don't know. The Bible really doesn't tell us. Okay, Whatever the reason, God had him in the right spot at the right time to do something about the situation because the people in Jerusalem really couldn't take care of the problem. But God is going to use Nehemiah to take care of the problem. And he's not in Jerusalem. He is in in Persia for the time being. So whatever the reason, God had him in the right spot uh, to do something about it. For he was the king's cupbearer. And you're like, okay, so big deal. He, he brought, he brought the, the drink to the, to the king. Right? That's what we think the cupbearer does. Well, that was only one thing. And there are notes here. It says the cupbearer was more than just a servant, for his duties involved not only tasting the king's food and beverage to make sure they were not poisoned, the king probably trusted him. Because, you know, he could have he done some kind of hocus-pocus stuff and switched stuff around and gave him some poison. His job was to make sure the king didn't get poisoned, and yet the king had to trust him at that. And so he and the king had a special relationship. Um, he was also a personal advisor to the king and queen. So it would be like our president has a cabinet, right? With people that are supposed to help advise him and things. The cupbearer would have been in that group. So Nehemiah had a position there, okay? Maybe that's why he didn't go back with Ezra. He had a position. Or maybe this all came to pass. Either way, it's like the book of Ruth. God put him in a certain spot at a certain time to accomplish his will. Okay, that's what's happening. Okay, Nehemiah had a desire. A desire goes in your blank. To serve God. He had a determination to serve God. That goes in your second blank. And he had the doings. That's your three blanks. Desire, determination, and doings. I got the first two out of the word, and I got the last one from Home Depot. No, that's, that's her old. Uh, I didn't have a, I didn't have a good word to fit there, so I put doings in there. So basically, he had the desire to do it. But you know, there's a lot of times when people have a desire to do something that it stops right there, doesn't it? But not only did he have a desire, he had the determination to get it done. And then he had the means, he had the doings to get it done, okay? To accomplish the work. And that should be a good example for us. Nehemiah is a good example for us as being a Christian how we need to serve the Lord. We should all have a desire to serve God. But we need to have a determination to do it. 
You know, a lot of people talk the talk, but they don't walk the talk. We need we need to walk the talk. And so Nehemiah had a desire, he had a determination, and he had a means to accomplish it. And that's what we're going to see. Um, I would call Nehemiah, you know, a guy that, um, you know, a go-getter, maybe a mover and a shaker. I mean, here's a guy that once he saw something that needed to be done, he got it, he got it done. And that's what we need to be. So I'm going to stop right there. We'll work on the uh, chapter uh, 2 when we come back next time. And so uh, we won't have Bible Hour next week because we'll ha- be doing... Uh, we'll have an hour or two off to rest up from Bible conference. And so uh, we'll go from there. Uh, but Nehemiah is going to be a neat book. It's, he, he, has, he has a goal in mind and we're going to watch him accomplish this goal. That ought to be us. You know, they ask people, uh, why, if you want something done, have you ever heard this phrase, if you want something done, ask a busy person? You ever heard that? You know, why do they, why do you ask a busy person? Because they have the determination to get it done. You, if you don't, if you want something to get done, you don't find the laziest guy in the group to go ask, do you? Because it probably won't get done. Get, Get it to the person that has the determination to do it. And that should be us. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the, the promises in your, in your book. We, 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 uh, just, uh, we just pray that we can uh, rely upon your promises. And I pray that we would stand on them and that we just love our life according to the promises in your book, Lord. And I pray that you would help us see the truths in the book of Nehemiah of, of why you put this book in the Bible for us to know. And Lord, I pray we would glean from the teachings in it. And I ask all this today, and I just pray you give us a good day, a good week, and in Christ's name, amen.